It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we're going to talk about two very prominent Falcon players that decided to skip the first day of off-season workouts. We'll talk about a free agent signing that the Falcons made along the defensive line on Monday, and we'll talk about sort of their overall strategy on day two and three of the 2019 NFL Draft. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years at FalFans.com, on Twitter at FalFans, and, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked on Falcons podcast today. we got a nice little slate of topics to discuss. I know we're in draft season. We will talk draft later on this show. We tend to focus so much on what the Falcons' first-round pick is going to be, particularly on this podcast, and we'll continue to do so in the week and a half leading up to the NFL draft. But uh, today I do want to talk a little bit about sort of what my expectations are for what the Falcons are going to do on subsequent days of the draft, just because we're probably not going to get as much coverage if everything goes according to schedule and plan to sort of the depth of, of various positions and whatnot in the lead up over the next couple of days of this podcast. But before we get there, I do want to talk about a free agent signing that the Falcons talked about, or the Falcons made on Monday. They signed Chris Odom, or you could argue re-signed Chris Odom, because Chris Odom um, was with the Falcons in the preseason in 2017, most recently of the American Alliance of Football, or the Alliance of American Football, I forget how, you know, it's defunct now, so it doesn't matter how I say it. But before we get there, I do want to talk about two very prominent Falcon players that decided to skip OTAs, or at least the first day of off-season workouts and OTAs. You know, this is the phase of OTAs where the Falcons are basically just lifting weights. So it's kind of like the least important phase of, of the sort of the offseason because, like, you know, these guys can lift weights at home. But, of course, I'm talking about Julio Jones and Grady Jarrett. Now, I think both of these players' absences was to be expected, so I don't think this is necessarily news or really something to be alarmed about. But, you know, since last year this became a thing, you know, I, I feel like it's – makes sense for me to get ahead of this potential topic or discussion uh, should things, um, you know, go a certain way down the road. So, um, you know, I think the interesting thing is that according to Von McClure of ESPN, Julio is expected to be present for the mandatory workouts that begin on June 11th. Right now, these are voluntary up until that June date. Um, so that's a that's a positive I guess you could say uh, Julio did skip all of the the voluntary and mandatory in 2018. I think he skipped voluntary as well in 2017 as well. And basically, you know, when we say skip, it's not like Julio's sitting at home eating Cheetos and whatnot. He's doing Julio things. He's working out. He's doing all the things. And last year he was working with Terrell Owens and doing various things. I imagine he'll go down to Miami or Florida or wherever the Falcons decide to do their little off-season throwing camp with Matt Ryan sometime, you know, they, I can't remember if they do it the week before the draft or the week after the draft, but they do it sometime around this point in time, and I imagine we'll see Julio there if and when sort of 
those things leak and whatnot. Um, so, you know, nothing to really be worried about with Julio Jones. He's doing his thing. If he's going to wind up showing up at the mandatory stuff uh, in, in a couple of months, all is fine. Nothing to be concerned about. We just assume that Julio Jones is trucking along just like he normally has. Uh, Grady Jarrett's the more interesting one, but again, I think his absence being not being there shouldn't be a surprise given that he's under the franchise tag. And this is basically just a little nudge to the Falcons size, the Falcons brass to basically, but, you know, come to the negotiation table. We most recently saw Dallas Cowboy defensive end DeMarcus Lawrence sign, you know, after he was franchise tagged earlier this offseason, get his long-term contract from the Cowboys. He signed a $105 million deal over five years that include $48 million guaranteed at signing with a total of $65 million guaranteed to be earned. And the reason I point that out is because as I've talked about a number of times back in early March when we were talking about Grady Jarrett and his contract situation and the whole rumors about him wanting Aaron Donald money, the Falcons, and him being far apart on these negotiations, sort of my speculation, my theory is that the Falcons and Grady Jarrett are far apart in terms of their guaranteed money. And, you know, this thing that I speculated about was sort of the Falcons want to sign him at something around $40 million. Grady Jarrett wants something in the $60 million range. And so basically my argument then was if you're 15 to 20 million apart in terms of negotiation, that's not necessarily something that you're probably going to get settled rapidly in early March before that uh, franchise tag deadline and before free agency. But now that we have this offseason, we sort of see, you know, the Lawrence deal get done. You know, that's not necessarily directly affects Grady Jarrett, but does have sort of an indirect impact on that situation. And I'll discuss that in a moment, but you know, that domino has fallen. So we got a couple of months. We got until July 15th for the Falcons to get Grady Jarrett done to a long-term deal. I think that's a, that's a very hard deadline for the Falcons to get a deal done. I'm optimistic, um, relatively optimistic that a deal will get done. But I think it's interesting when you look at that Lawrence deal and looking at sort of the upfront guarantees at signing and then the eventual guarantees that sort of kick in, in in the third and, and I think with Lawrence's deal, it's in the third year of his contract where he has additional guarantees that push that $48 million to $65 million. And I think when you look at sort of the contract that is, I think, the template for what Grady Jarrett's going to be asking for, you're talking about the Fletcher Cox deal, where I think what you're looking at, I think Cox's deal was, I think, $36 million guaranteed at signing. But by the, sec- by the, the second year of his contract, um, he was that guarantee money got pushed to 55 million. And then if he made it to like the fourth year of his contract, which by the way, is this current season in 2019, um, that guaranteed number will be pushed to 63 million. And I think because of the negotiations, uh, the renegotiation and restructures that the Eagles have done the last couple of years on that deal, it's very likely that they will, you know, get at least another two more seasons of Fletcher Cox after this season potentially pushing his total guaranteed, I think, with a couple of roster bonuses up to $65 million. And I think this is sort of the reason I bring these up, because I think when you're looking at these guys that are franchise players, when you're looking at a Grady Jarrett, and particularly in the Fletcher Cox situation, that are comparable in terms of their um, market value. Again, I know there's lots of debates on whether Grady Jarrett is on Fletcher Cox's level as a player. I don't think he is, but I think he's just a notch and a half at most below. So I think basically the point I'm trying to make is I think it's inevitable that the Falcons are going to have to do a deal like this. And so we'll have sort of, you know, he's going to get that monster contract. I know there are various people out there that don't necessarily think that Grady Jarrett deserves that monster contract, but I think 
you know, in terms of the leverage point, you know, given what Thomas Dimitrov has said numerous times this offseason, given what Arthur Blank has said many times this offseason, given the fact that the Falcons are going to have guys like Deion Jones and Austin Hooper hitting the market next offseason. And so really, if the Falcons don't get a long term deal done with Grady Jarrett um, before July 15th, they're not going to be able to franchise tag him again. And just because, you know, they're just going to have too many other guys to to worry about. And plus, they're not going to want to franchise tag him just because of the increase that it would incur and and debilitate their salary cap for a second year in a row. So that's part of the reason why I'm optimistic that a deal does get done with Grady Jarrett at some point in the next, you know, three months. But, um, you know, this is sort of the first indicator that, you know, him missing offseason workouts is an indicator of like, well, it doesn't indicate anything, really, to be honest with you. Again, it's it's one of those things where just because he's like all other franchise players, he's not going to show up, you know. And so I guess the question is going to be if he shows up in June, which I I would doubt just the normal way that guys handle it. And, you know, it is what it is, but uh, we'll have to see how that goes. So that's what I wanted to say about that. We'll come back in a moment, talk a little bit more about the Falcons signing Chris Odom, the defensive end. Uh, today um, or yesterday as you're listening to this. But before we get there, I do want to remind you guys that if you haven't subscribed to the Locked On NFL podcast hosted by Matt Williamson, you definitely need to do it this week. This week, the Locked On Podcast Network started their five-part series on the Locked On NFL podcast where all the hosts of the various NFL shows on the Locked On Podcast Network participated in a mock draft for their respective teams Each host provided their insight in who and why they selected their various prospects, and you'll get additional insight from Matt Williamson, the host of the Locked On NFL podcast, the co-host of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, the co-host of the Draft Dudes podcast, as well as other hosts from around the Locked On podcast network, and give you the most comprehensive coverage of just one scenario of how the first round of the 2019 NFL Draft might go. Go ahead, subscribe right now to the Locked On NFL podcast on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss a single episode of this great five-part series. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so let's talk about the Falcons signing defensive end Chris Odom. He was a guy that was a little bit of a fan favorite two summers ago in the preseason, I think, in large part that was driven because people desperately wanted the team at that point in time to cut Brooks Reed. Um, and so they were like, Oh, Chris Odom's going to, he's better than Chris Reed, Brooks Reed. And he, you know, he's an upgrade. And he's, he's got young potential and Brooks Reed's, you know, crap or whatever, which didn't tr- prove to be true. But, you know, certainly this year, probably Chris Odom would have been able to sort of uh, pass Brooks Reed uh, given his uh, decline in 2018. But, you know, what's interesting about Chris Odom is him and Brooks Reed didn't really play the same positions in the defense. Chris Odom played more of that uh, five-technique, strong-side defensive end role. And for those of you that don't know what any of those words I just mentioned, the strong side refers to the side of the defense in which the tight end, or, or the side of the offense, I guess, 
since the defense mirrors the offense, the side of the where the tight end typically lines up, it, it, you know, given that the league uses multiple receiver sets, it's not necessarily a one-to-one correspondence. But in uh, what five technique refers to is when a defensive lineman, usually a defensive end, is shaded over the outside shoulder of one of the offensive tackles. That's the five technique. And in this scheme that Dan Quinn runs in Atlanta, that strong side defensive end typically lines up in a five technique or a four technique, most downs, at least in the base defense. And that four technique refers to a guy that runs, that lines up directly over the offensive tackle. And that was really what Odom did um, in 2017, the Falcons cut him, hoping to get him on the practice squad, but the Packers scooped him up, put him on the roster. They tried to turn him into like some three, four outside linebacker. It didn't really necessarily work, um, but he was able to make it through that season. Uh, I think got a couple of snaps that year um, and then was cut last uh, summer at the end of last summer. And then he wound up with uh, Salt Lake in the AAF, I think uh, this past year and, and was pretty productive. But I think what's going to be interesting is Odo's probably going to be pushing a guy like Stephen Means for that five technique strong side defensive end spot this upcoming season, assuming that the Falcons don't address it as well in the draft, which I think they definitely could. Um, But it's interesting when you look at that sort of strong side defensive end spot and sort of its evolution under Dan Quinn. Early on, Dan Quinn was sort of borrowing from what he did in Seattle, where he had Red Bryant, you know, who is this massive 320-pound human being, um, play that role in Seattle for uh, for those two seasons where Dan Quinn was the defensive coordinator. So he tried to sort of repeat that in Atlanta, and that's why you saw guys like Rasheed Hageman and Tyson Jackson playing that role primarily in 2015 and 2016. They were trying to get Hageman to play that role. Eventually, he, he never really took to it. Um, and I think in the second half of 2016, particularly after the Claiborne injury, and I think somebody else got hurt, I can't recall, Clay, uh, Hageman started to move more inside, and I think Tyson Jackson started taking the majority of those reps, and maybe they mix in a little bit of Courtney Upshaw. But clearly those are all guys that were 300-plus pounds playing that role. Uh, they signed Derek Shelby in 2016, but he didn't necessarily play that role in 2016 before he got hurt. He was mostly an interior pass rusher uh, at the D-tackle spot. But then in 2017, after they got rid of Jackson, and obviously you know Hageman was sort of also pushed out the door prior to the start of that season, uh, Shelby was playing that role as well as Upshaw was sort of his primary backup. And what we, you know, Shelby is more in that 280, 285 pound range. And I think 2017, we saw, you know, a high level of production from Derek Shelby in that role. Then we saw the drop off this past season in part due to the injuries in part due to whatever other factors that were affecting Derek Shelby. And then we saw sort of Stephen Means step up into the mantle in that role. And early in the season, Means kind of struggled. But towards the end of the season, I thought Means played really well and was probably one of the four or five best defensive linemen on the team over the last like three or four games of the season, given his impact as a run defender, as well as his ability to create some pressure uh, on the quarterback. And Means is sort of in that 265 pound range. And that's kind of how Odom is. So I I think we may not necessarily see the Falcons bringing in a 280 plus pounder to play that sort of strong side defensive end role. And you'll probably see the Falcons looking for a little bit of a slimmer player like a Means, like an Odom, who are guys that are more pass rushers, but can also sort of you know, defend the run. And so the idea I think the Falcons are probably potentially trying to go for is to have someone who's a little bit more of an effective pass rusher in that role to get some more juice in the pass rush in the base defense um, without sort of losing a whole lot in terms of run defense. So I think that's really the plan. So we're going to see if Odom sort of compete for a role like that. So 
We'll come back, talk a little bit about the Falcons' uh, draft plans on day two and, and potentially early on day three uh, coming up. But uh, since we're talking draft, you guys got to check out the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast or the Draft News Podcast, both of them part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Find them on whatever platform you prefer, including the new Himalaya Podcast app in this ever-changing podcast world. You got to download Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download the Himalaya app at your app store, your team, every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So since we spend so much time talking about, you know, the Falcons and what their plans are in the first round of the draft and that first day of the draft and all the trade-up stuff, and we'll talk trade-up today, um, but more in the context of days two and three rather than that first day of the draft. Um, you know, I, I wanted to devote a little bit of time to sort of their subsequent plans because we tend to sort of, you know, focus as obviously is the case on sort of that first round pick and who's sort of the the sort of the face of this draft class um, and sort of all the various permutations on, um, you know, day one of the draft. But obviously when you're building your roster, the day two to day three picks are really sort of what sort of solidify you long term in terms of, uh, you know, whether or not you're going to have success building your roster. And that's been one of the reasons why the Dan Quinn regime has had a lot of successes, because they've been able to hit a lot more on those second, third, fourth and fifth round picks uh, over the last four years. So today we'll talk a little bit about that. And I think, you know, today we'll probably focus mainly on the second and fifth, second through fifth rounds. As I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, I kind of think those six and seven round picks are a little bit of throwaways, given sort of the overall quality of this team, given all the likelihood that you're not necessarily expecting those guys to come in and win roster spots uh, right away. So, you know, and obviously what happens on the second day, what happens on the third day of the draft is going to be dependent on what happens on the first day of the draft. If you take an offensive tackle, you're not going to probably take that position again. If you take a, a pass rusher, you know, if you can get a pass rusher, then that leaves you know, the the potential for you to get an offensive tackle later in the draft or whatnot. And so, you know, what's interesting is a lot of people sort of have been buzzing over the last couple of days after hearing sort of what Tony Pauline said on a recent draft analyst podcast, uh, where he talked about the Falcons wanting to go cornerback in the first round. And I think, unfortunately, I think people sort of, it's clear that a lot of people didn't actually listen to the podcast. Rather, they just sort of read the headlines that other people were posting about that episode of the podcast. Cause if you listen to the podcast, that's not really what he said. He kind of said, basically the Falcons weren't going to take a cornerback at 14. If they were going to take a cornerback, it would be because they would trade back in the draft. And I think that's probably the, the, you know, the scenario he really was talking about. They'll probably take a defensive tackle, which again, I think is questionable because I do think offensive tackle is definitely in the mix there at that 14th overall pick. But I do think what was interesting is that he mentioned a couple of corners in that episode, Sean Bunting, and I think, was it, uh, I can't remember who the other guy is. I'm blanking on it. I I know some of you guys are yelling at your phone right now. Um, But Sean Bunting was one of those guys um, 
And sort of it seemed like the Falcons maybe would be targeting a quarterback in round two. And I think particularly if they're able to nab an offensive tackle in round one, you know, I think it's very likely that they could take a cornerback in round two because I think, you know, my expectation, and again, I'll continue to be the guy in denial on this issue, but my expectation, if the Falcons go with an, a non-offensive tackle position in round one, then it's a very high probability that they'll go with an offensive tackle in round two, just because I don't think the Falcons, despite, you know, giving Tyson Braylon a raise, are firmly committed to starting Tyson Braylon for 16 games. And I think if you if you don't get an offensive tackle in the first two rounds of this draft, it's unlikely that you're going to get a guy that's going to really challenge him for a starting spot in the third round, at the top of the third round, if you wait till that 79th overall pick. The one thing I will say, sort of to backtrack a little bit and cover all my bases, because you know, as some people, as one person out there calls me, calls me the hedge master, I do think this draft class is unique in the sense that it's deep enough at the offensive tackle position where I do think if you look at the likely players that you could potentially get at that 79th overall pick in the third round, you're probably going to get a guy significantly better than what some of the recent drafts have been. Because if you look at the number of starting offensive tackles that were taken after pick, you know, 79, I think there's like three guys in the league and like two of them are probably going to get replaced by draft picks this year. So like, you know, I think over at least over the last five drafts, I think. So it's one of those things where it's just, the pickings tend to get very slim after round two. And that's part of the reason why I am so adamant about the Falcons getting their offensive tackle as early as possible. And why I'm not necessarily against the idea of them using that 14th overall pick and sort of nipping it in the bud and still being able to get good quality players at other positions on the second day of the draft. But I think cornerback is one of those positions. I think the defensive line is going to be a position in an area of the roster where the Falcons hopefully are going to still address. I think, you know, getting Claiborne, getting Tyler Davidson gives them a little bit of leeway to not necessarily have to pull the trigger on guys in the first two rounds. And they can maybe wait and get some quality rotational pieces in round threes, round four, round five or whatever. Um, but, you know, I do think that's still going to be an area of the roster where the Falcons do want to find a player uh, early in this draft. I think right now, I think given looking at the roster, I think defensive end is likely to be prior. If it does wind up waiting to that point, I think defensive end is likely to be the position to be more prioritized than defensive tackle. Um, and I just think probably you're more likely to see the Falcons maybe wait to get that defensive lineman, maybe till round three, round four. Um, you know, the defensive tackle group, I think sort of the sweet spot from what I have seen. I still haven't done all my homework on the defensive tackles this year, but it seems like the sweet spot is kind of in the round four, round five range for the Falcons. And maybe defensive end is, is potentially round three, um, probably round three, maybe round four. Uh, but I think the pickings tend to probably will start get a little slim after you get out of the top 100 at the defensive end spot. Um, so I think having those two extra picks in round four, round five, the competition, the compensatory picks, um, I think is really valuable because it allows the Falcons to address a number of positions. And, you know, potentially the scenario that you're looking at is if the Falcons get some starting caliber prospects at offensive tackle, at defensive end, at defensive tackle and cornerback with four out of their first five or six picks, because they have six picks in the first five rounds or seven picks in the first five rounds. Um, but, you know, they have, uh, you know, five picks in the first uh, four rounds. Um, I think that's ideal. So, you know, if they can get address those four spots, OT, DE, DT, and, and CB, with four out of the five picks in those first four rounds, I think they're in a really good place. Um, and so, 
you know, then after that, you still have a, a couple of picks around five. And I think that's potentially a linebacker. That's potentially a wide receiver with the likelihood that, you know, a return specialist, uh, a wide receiver is sort of an option there. And sort of, again, you can sort of finagle that and, and sort of mix it up and not necessarily go in a specific order there. Again, it all depends on who's on the board. Who do you think is going to be available, you know, 30 picks later when the Falcons come up on the clock or in, in the cases of round four and five, you know, 15, 20 picks later when the Falcons are back on the clock. And so I think that's where when we talk about the likelihood of the Falcons trading up, I think this is really, at least from my perspective, the more likelier place where you could see the Falcons maybe trading up in the draft, particularly in the round four, round five range, because my expectation again is the Falcons will probably just stay put in the first two, three rounds of the draft and sort of get the best player available at that pick 14 in round one, pick 45 in round two, and pick 79 in round three, because I think they're in a position where they can get quality players there and don't need to feel the pressure to have to go and get somebody at some of those spots. And then when you get to round four, they're picking, you know, 117 in round four, which I think is the 15th overall pick in the fourth round. But the the interesting thing is that six-round pick that the Falcons have, that potentially, if you look at the various trade value charts, seems like it can allow the Falcons to move up eight to ten spots in round four, potentially. And so you can jump into the top five, top ten of round four and say, like, there is a guy that the Falcons were sort of choosing between at pick 79 in the third round. They're like, man, we could go with either one of these guys. And they chose, you know, player A. And then they're like, okay, well, you know, we don't think player B is going to be there in round four, but you know, we'll, we'll get, you know, player C at that same position and get a good player. But then we get to round four and, and you know, the second day ends and player B is still chilling there, at, you know, at the top of round four. And said rather than waiting, you know, hoping that he continues to fall 15 more spots, the Falcons could be aggressive, move up 10 spots or so and get that player B that they had a third round grade on and that they were very close to drafting in round three, and all of a sudden you're basically, you know, sort of maximizing your opportunities and getting rid of a six-round pick, as I've explained before, that is not really going to really do a whole lot to really improve your roster this season or probably in subsequent years. And so then, you know, having, you know, two picks in round five, you know, and then sort of you're picking 137 at the end of round four, but then you could take that compensatory pick at the end of round five, package it with that compensatory pick in round four. And I think you can be able to move up into the middle of the fourth round, picking back where you were originally picking at that sort of 15th spot, um, potentially. And sort of, you can get another guy, you can get the guy that you were potentially waiting for to get that you thought you were going to get, you know, before you made that first trade. And so you're sort of, that's sort of to me where you can sort of maximize your value in that sort of middle portion of the draft where you can, you know, get some solid, you know, undervalued players, you know, that's sort of that sweet spot between pick 80 and pick 120. Uh, if you can get, you know, potentially three picks in that range, um, starting with that third round pick and ending with that sort of jumping back into the fourth round, um, you know, that's where the range where the Falcons have picked players like Austin Hooper and Devondre Campbell and Devontae Freeman and Corey Peters and Harry Douglas and Thomas Deku and Joe Hawley. And so you're getting guys that can be starters for your team, not necessarily long term. You know, these guys 
with the exception of maybe Freeman or and possibly Hooper, these guys that are going to wind up playing, you know, six, seven, eight years for you. But you can get guys that, you know, may not come in right away and be starters for you. But like a Hawley, like a Deku, you can sort of redshirt for a year and then come in that second, third, fourth year and, and be capable starters for you. You know, you're not going to sit here and be like, man, that guy's, you know, a cornerstone piece of our roster, but can certainly be a a major contributor. So I think that's sort of one strategy again, not to necessarily say that that is exactly what the Falcons are going to do. But I think that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, when we talk about the Falcons moving, wheeling and dealing in the draft, I think it's very likely that they could do that. But I think it's not necessarily to do that, you know, in the first round or the second round, but potentially to sort of maximize, use those day three picks to sort of maximize the, the quality and talent you can get in rounds three, four, five, um, to get the most players. So um, we'll have to sort of see, you know, how it plays out this year. But I think that's sort of going to be the strategy. Um, you know, I, I expect cornerback. I expect at least one defensive lineman, uh, potentially a linebacker, um, you know, maybe a tight end, maybe a center. Um, but I think those are sort of going to be the positions that I th- or in obviously offensive tackle as well. Um are going to be some of the positions that the Falcons are going to be looking to address on day two and, and early on day three of this year's draft. So um, that's one scenario. That's something to sort of, you know, stick in your brain and, and contemplate, you know, go go on your mock draft machine and, and you know, project who, who are the guys that you want to get at those picks. Um, so there you have it, guys. Appreciate you tuning in. Hopefully we're going to get some guests. I had to sort of reschedule due to some conflicts that it was hoping to have somebody early this week, but uh, that'll be potentially later this week to come on and talk with me about some of these various top prospects and potential first round picks. So we'll, we'll certainly be refocusing back on sort of the early uh, value and the early prospects in the coming days. And uh, until then, you are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.